Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. While some say he's on a journey. It's the journey. And here's your host, David Hackett. Hi, everyone. We're returning to Jim Marshall. Jim shared his journey last year. And today we're going to talk in a little bit more in depth about his journey about septemics. And as it says on the screen, hierarchies of human phenomena, phenomena analysis, prediction and management of human affairs. Well, first of all, welcome back, Jim. Thank you, David. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. So you sent me this PowerPoint, which we're going to go through, and we're going to talk about each slide as we go along. So we're right. ready to talk about this topic, September. Right. And we're going to yes. help people understand septemics more and understand more clearly what it is. So, right. So if we go to, and this shows that I haven't, bear with me a second, this shows, there you go. We talk about- Okay, can you back it up to the beginning again? So there you go. Yeah, I want to talk about I want to talk about the the opening page first. Okay. So that's the first page, I believe. Right. Because I do have some things to say about this page. Go on then. Wheels. Okay. Okay. So first I want to introduce myself to your viewers today. I am the discoverer of hitherto unknown natural phenomena which greatly aid in the understanding of people, from which I constructed a revolutionary practical philosophic system called Septemics and published it in the book, Septemics, Hierarchies of Human Phenomena. And you see the subtitle is Analysis, Prediction and Management of Human Affairs. So this book enables the reader to analyze, predict and manage anything going on in the realm of human affairs. Meaning any situation that arises in the life of any person can successfully be analyzed by one or more of these 35 scales. So when I say hierarchies, that's a synonym of scales because the phenomena that I discovered exist in a hierarchy, like one through seven, every scale has seven levels in it. Now you see this logo here, this is the septemic logo and it tells you, <coughs> excuse me, quite a bit about the subject. You notice there are seven stars, seven points in this star, each of which points in a different direction, each of which is a, is a different color, but between them, they make a spectrum. And that is the basic idea of septemics, that you have uh, a spectrum of phenomena from level one through seven, and between them, they comprise that phenomena. And each, uh, of the 35 scales has that in common. So I'm ready, David, to, to advance to the first scale. Okay, so these are the individual scales, meaning they apply more to individuals than to groups. Okay, this is the scale of basic purposes. Every human being has one of these seven basic purposes. Now, of course, everybody has thousands of purposes, but underneath the many is one basic purpose. 
And in most cases, that persists for one's entire life. This is a persistent trait, which very much defines the behavior of a person. Uh, now, notice that it says on the left there, one through seven, seven being the highest, lowest being uh, subversive, the highest being saint. Uh, and there's this gradation that goes in from one up through seven, or from seven up through what? Now, also notice that to the right of that, it says plus and minus. Now, what that means, as I explain in the book, next to saint, it says minus. What that means is, this is fundamentally what you would call a withdrawal or an inflow, as opposed to a reaching or an outflow. So the saint is fundamentally withdrawing from the, from the world. In other words, his objective is transcendence. He is not reaching into the world. He's withdrawing from the world, okay? And that is why it is not easy to change these levels because to change level, you have to have a reversal of polarity. Now, this is something that is known somewhat in uh, Oriental philosophy. <clears throat> so a leader, for example, is on an outflow. These people uh, are reaching into the environment, okay? So to change from a leader to a saint is a big deal, which is why most people never change level on this. Now, also notice that there's a line between level two and three, and there's a line between level five and six. Now, uh, this corresponds to at the right, the saint and the leader are what I call superhumans. They're humans, but they have abilities that most of us don't have. In the middle is the human, which is the pers a person that most people would understand as being somewhat like them. And then at the bottom is the subhuman. Uh, these are people who are dominated by fear, stupidity, and criminality. These would be people like Adolf Hitler or John Gotti, uh, the head of the Gambino crime family who died in prison. So, uh, and notice that this dotted line goes from fear, stupidity, and criminality at the bottom up to courage, wisdom, and ethics at the top. Those are the antitheses of one another. Uh, also notice that at level four, there's a line where it says the difference between social and antisocial. People <laughs> above level four are definitely social. People below level four are definitely antisocial. Uh, and I mean that in the sense that it is normally discussed in psychology. And people in the middle are either neither here nor there, or sometimes will sort of waffle between it can sort of go either way. Uh, the largest demographic group is level four, the normal. The normal is a person who, as you might expect, he fits in because he wants to fit in. His purpose is conformity. Now, some people say, well, conformity is not a good thing, but think of it in terms of fitting in. In other words, if people grow their hair long, the normal wants to grow his hair long. If people cut the hair short, he wants to cut his hair short. He doesn't want to rock the boat or make waves, okay? Above that is the winner. The winner is motivated by wealth. Now, wealth can mean many things. It's not just money. Uh, for example, if a guy's a professional baseball player, he wants to win the World Series. He gets a, a ring, a unique ring that he gets to keep for the rest of his life to 
to a baseball player that is wealth, you see? So also, you know, we have the idea trophy wives. A lot of very rich people have what are called trophy wives, wives that are especially beautiful uh, and glamorous and so forth. So to them, that is a form of wealth. Now, I understand that that's an objectification of woman that I'm not enthused about, but that's how those people are, okay? And down at level six is what I call the loser, pardon me, five, not six, five, the loser. The objective of the loser is suffering. This makes no sense to most people. They would say, well, why would a person's basic objective be to suffer? Well, that is a psychological question uh, that you would have to delve into with the person, but uh, you've seen these people. This is the type of person who will destroy himself. He will destroy himself with drugs, with alcohol, or with eating, or with bad relationships. This little guy will find a way to destroy himself. And if you try to remedy it, it will do no good. For example, if you give him a house, he'll burn it down. If you give him 50 grand, he'll blow it in Vegas. If you give him a car, he'll crash it. Now, all of these things are not intentional. He's not going to take his car and intentionally go out and crash it because this is a person who is dominated by his subconscious. Now, when you go below that line into the subhuman, you find the criminal. Criminals are motivated by pleasure. They're not interested in improving themselves. They want drugs and sex and, and music and uh, yachts and things like that. And below that is a subversive. Now, the subversive is not well understood. These are people who are motivated by destruction per se. They intend to destroy. And that would be something like Hitler or Paul Pot. If you actually study these people, you will see that they were destructive even to their own people, to their own causes, to their own interests. Uh, the criminal will kill you if you get in his way. But he doesn't particularly want to kill you. That is not his purpose. His purpose is just to get pleasure. Uh, you notice how many people who are uh, professional criminals are obese. It's because they want to eat because of his pleasure. Uh, so they are not particularly motivated by destruction, but the people at bot level seven are. Okay, uh, David, you have any questions or are we ready to move on? We're ready to move on. I'm letting you discuss okay. it. I'm ready to move on. I keep forgetting which button to push. Don't mind. This is our... Uh, okay. Wait there, wait there. Yeah, there you go. Good. So this is the scale of personal influence. There are seven basic ways that a person can personally influence another. Now, when I say personal influence, this is a subset of control. For example, I could control somebody by hitting them over the head with a club. Okay. That's not personal influence. Personal influence is the way a person interacts in an interpersonal way with another, okay? And there are seven basic ways. The lowest of these at seven is martyrdom, okay? Uh, and this is a level of humility. Now notice, somewhat to the right, it says direction. Again, you have the inflow and the outflow, okay? Martyrdom is basically an outflow as opposed to level six, victimization, is fundamentally an inflow. So what I mean by that is uh, a, victim, a victim is sort of 
pulling guilt in on himself, whereas a martyr is sort of uh, exploding into the environment to be a martyr. Uh, it's, it's a much more sort of proactive thing. Now, if you go from seven up to five, you see domination. Domination is very obviously, people can see that domination is an outflow, right? A, a, a bully will try to overwhelm you, uh, such as somebody pulls a gun on you and says, give me a wallet, well, that's domination. Uh, and that is an outflow, okay? So this is not a shrinking violet. And above that, you have aloofness. Well, if you understand what aloofness is, aloofness is inherently an inflow. The person sort of makes himself away from things. He shows restraint and he influences people that way. And above that, we come up to reason or logic, where a person influences people by logic. Uh, so this is a person who uh, operates in the way that lawyers or politicians do. They come forward, they present their position. This is my argument. Uh, there's some logic to it. And they influence people that way. All right, then above that is charisma, which is a somewhat mysterious form of leadership that people have. That, for instance, Jack Kennedy uh, was charismatic. Elvis Presley was charismatic. So this is a leadership quality uh, and it's sort of an inflow because they're sort of pulling you into them. It's like you are drawn to this person because it's an inflow. And then above that, the highest is telepathy where somebody can control you by his mind, by will. You know, he, he doesn't have to say anything. He simply wills you to do something and it happens telepathically. Uh, he puts out an intention and that intention is strong enough. So obviously this is an, an outflow. Uh, he has to outflow his, his will onto you, see? So, and then at the extreme right, you see what the axis is, the axis is cause to effect. At the top, uh, the, the, the people most at cause are those who operate by telepathy. A, a, tele, a telepathic person, doesn't have to do anything. He just intends something and you do it. He just says, uh, he intends for you to invite him for dinner and you do it. Okay, not many people have that ability, yeah. but it does exist. Yeah. And at the bottom is effect. Okay, so martyrdom is where you are at the most effect. You're saying, go ahead and kill me. Okay, that's as effect as you can get. You are not at cause, you are at effect. Questions? Yeah, it's just, I like how it's, because obviously it seems like in the middle, you are in between cause and effect, you know, so where you go to number four for, you know, aloofness and restraint, you know, you can be restrained by being caused to be restrained, but also the effect of being restrained, I assume is more, you know, you can word it better than I can, but it's just that's the middle road for everything. Sure, sure. So, you know, uh, you know, as is generally the case with most of these scales, most people tend to be near the, the middle. You know, a lot of people, successful people, operate on reason, which is level three, which is close to the middle. Okay. Now, a lot of people are not quite up to reason. Uh, they operate by aloofness, like Ronald Reagan 
was a very successful person, was re-elected re by a massive landslide, was known for being aloof. He showed restraint. Uh, John Adams said of George Washington, he has the gift of silence. That is aloofness. Washington was a very aloof person. He was very restrained. He was the president of the, of the uh, Constitutional Convention, and he rarely said anything. Uh, his presence was enough. He was very restrained. He was the most dominating person in the room, but he was restrained. He yeah. did not speak out the way John Adams. John Adams always had something to say, which is why he was impressed by Washington, who uh, was the most influential person of his day in America, who had a tendency to not say anything because he was aloof. Next scale. It's always this same button right there. <laughs> right there. Right. Okay, the scale of right permeation. There. Whoops. Right there, go back. That's, yeah, that's it. Scale of choice is next? Okay. Yes. No, it's a scale of permeation. Wait a minute. Scale of choice is next? Yeah, scale of choice is next. Okay. Okay. So this is more important than you would think when you first look at it. And here's why. The most important theme in human history is freedom. That is why wars are fought. That is why all kinds of conflicts come about. Uh, now, what is freedom? Freedom is the ability to choose. If you can choose, you're free. If you can't choose, you're not free. And there is a spectrum there on the scale of choice. Some people have difficulty making a choice and some don't. When a person uh, does not have difficulty making a choice, we say he's decisive. Okay, that is, that is a positive trait in a person. And when a person has difficulty making choices, we say he's indecisive. That is a negative trait. Now, again, you have here the inflow and the outflow. And in this case, it manifests as one viewpoint, many viewpoints, one viewpoint, many viewpoints. So a person who is at level seven, no choice possible, that person only has one viewpoint. Uh, he's at oblivion, okay? This person really can't make a choice of any kind, okay? And so he has this one viewpoint of no choice. But if you go up one level to the group's choice, this person wants the group to make the choice. He's a collectivist. This is the person who vote for socialism and communism and fascism. And he is a person who wants there to be many viewpoints. You see, like in, in the Soviet Union, uh, the state collectively would tell you where you would live, what job you would have, what career you would have, what school you would go to, okay? So that was many viewpoints asserted themselves on you. That is what collectivism is. And if you go up to five, another's choice. Now you're back to one viewpoint, but it's a sort of robotism. This is like the guy whose wife decides everything for him. You know, uh, he says to his wife, honey, do you think I should buy a new suit? She says, no, you, what you have is fine. He says, okay, you know, he's kind of a robot to his wife. And he has one viewpoint, and that viewpoint is the wife's viewpoint. Then above that at four is any choice but one's own. 
Now, this is hard for many people to understand. This is a level of irresponsibility. This is the type of person who's trending, meaning uh, this person wants somebody else to make the choice. Uh, but it's, it's an upper harmonic of collectivism. So this is the type of person who, uh, you know, if everybody uh, thinks that pink is a good color, he'll go along with it because he's not responsible enough to say, I don't like pink. Okay. So in a sense, it's the many viewpoints. It's like, oh, well, pink is in vogue, so I'm going to wear pink, or it's in fashion or in style. Okay, so again, he's dominated by the many viewpoints. You know, if, if everybody says, uh, oh, well, you know, we should, we should uh, all go to college, you know, Okay, so he sort of goes along with them because they're all saying that you should go to college. So he's not a very, very responsible person. Now, above that is one's own choice. Okay, now I put that as selfishness, but, but I'm not saying selfishness necessarily in a bad way. It's more a, a, a person being decisive. Okay, he, he, he doesn't care if the other people are ordering strawberry. He doesn't like strawberry. He's going to order vanilla, okay? Because it's his own choice. He has one viewpoint and it's his own. Now, above that is any choice. There are people who are aloof, meaning they don't care. They don't care if the Republicans win. They don't care if the Democrats win. They genuinely don't care. They're aloof from that, okay? And so they can have any one of many viewpoints. So... Uh, like, you know, this is the type of person who will be open to listening to a hundred different religions. He'll listen to the Catholics, he'll listen to the Presbyterians, he'll listen to the Mormons. You know, he doesn't necessarily uh, adhere to them because he chooses himself. But there are many viewpoints to this person in a, in a very healthy way. This is what you would call an open-minded person, even though he makes his own choices. He's not like the person at level four who's going to go along with the crowd. He's going to do what he thinks is appropriate. And at the top is no choice necessary. Now, this is a person who's free, okay? Uh, like there are gurus who are like this. You know, they, are, they don't particularly care if they eat or if they don't eat, if they sleep, if they don't sleep, uh, if you like them, if you don't like them. They are transcendent uh, and they have one viewpoint and it is the viewpoint of it doesn't matter. That is the viewpoint. So, you know, it's like some, sometimes a wife will get mad at a husband because he votes for the opposing political party. That does happen. If in this case, that wouldn't happen. You know, if this guy's wife voted for the opposing political party, he wouldn't be upset by it. He would say, no choice is necessary. Now notice how one and seven are both no choice. The difference is at, at seven, it's no choice possible. And at one, it's no choice necessary. Big difference. This is what I call a spiral scale where one has the apparency of being like seven. So as you go up and down this, you see it sort of overlaps. Yeah. And of course, on the right, 
Yes. As long as there's something. So it's on the right. Yeah. I'm just saying at above the scale is complete freedom and responsibility. Like in order to be free, you must be responsible. An irresponsible person can never be free. That is what spiritual freedom is about. You assume complete responsibility for your karma. That is how you get rid of it. Or for your sin, that is how it's forgiven. Or at the opposite, at the bottom, is no freedom, no responsibility. A person says, oh, I didn't do that. It's not my fault. That person cannot be free because he's not responsible. So in, in seven, it's an extreme state where the person is oblivious. You know, this is the guy, he doesn't even know that an election is going on. Okay, so the guy at one knows there's an election going on and he doesn't, he doesn't even vote because he doesn't really care who wins. The guy at level two, he will vote for who he thinks is the best choice. So he's not really involving himself in what in uh, letting other people tell him what to do. He's making a choice. But this is a person who can see all the viewpoints, an open-minded person. His, this guy will listen to all the political parties. So he can see all the viewpoints. Okay, the libertarians say this, the Green Party says that, the Democrats say this, the socialists say that. He has, he has all the viewpoints in front of him and he makes his own choice. This is what we call an informed, responsible voter. Any questions? Yeah, it's just, I like how you that is written because obviously everyone does have a choice, but also at the same time, when it goes to no choice, but you know, you do get that odd, I forgot what the percentage is, but you do get the odd percentage where they don't know. And then it then goes into a situation beyond that point. So I like the option of any choice because it gives you the option. You like you said, it goes into the option of looking at all the in this situation political parties. So you're looking at every single person in turn, and you then go to the one choice where you think this will be better for the in this situation country. So I do like that. Right. Point. Right. That is what the American founding fathers had in mind. That the the electorate would be informed, they would listen to what everybody has to say, and that each person would vote his conscience. Obviously, that hasn't been happening in America for a very long time now, but that was what the idea was back uh, when the country was founded. Mm -hmm. It's very obvious if you read the writings of these men, uh, we have all of their writings, and that's what they thought. And it's the same. Next. And it's the same thing with political things in England. You know, they are the party. There go. Okay, skill of permeation. Many people don't really understand permeation. Permeation is the basic ability of a spiritual being. The reason that you get sensation from your body is you're permeating it. When you die, you stop permeating it. So you get no more sensation. And that is why there are thousands of stories all around the world of a person who had some terrible accident, like he was smashed up in an automobile accident. He left his body because he was, he didn't want to permeate it. It was full, and he felt fine. Then he decided, wait a minute, 
I don't want to die. And he would then re-permeate the body and then the pain would hit him. Many people tell the same story. So <coughs> permeation monitors love. Where there is permeation, there is love. Where there's no permeation, there is no love. So complete permeation is a state of power. When you have a person who has power in an area, it's because he's permeating it completely. A good example would be Monet, the famous painter. Okay, he made hundreds of beautiful paintings. Okay, he obviously had power in that area. He very often would paint the exact same thing several different times. Uh, he, he had complete permeation of the visual world and of the ability to represent it. And again, if you look at the right, you'll see this has direction built into it. And that is part of the mathematics of this. Outflow, inflow, outflow, inflow, or reach, withdraw, reach, withdraw. A person who has complete permeation is reaching, okay? If you go down to level two, can permeate a will. This person is not reaching, he's withdrawing. In other words, he can permeate anytime he wants, but he's not necessarily permeating. So this is what we generally think of as a successful person, okay? He can permeate if he wants to permeate. And because of that, he can be successful, okay? So that is an inflow or withdrawal. Below that is willing to permeate. Now, willing to permeate is what we see as empathy. You know, like a person says, oh, gee, I'm sorry, you're sick. I, I can understand how difficult this is. He's empathizing with you. He's willing to permeate you, okay? That is an outflow. And below that is unwilling to permeate. This is a person who's antipathetic. He's unwilling to permeate you. You know, like somebody who, uh, you know, some cop catches you. He sees you as a criminal. He's antipathetic. He's going to put you in cuffs and take you away. He doesn't care what you have to say. He's unwilling to permeate. Okay. That is an inflow. He's withholding his permeation from you. You have to realize for a cop to permeate the per perpetrator would make it impossible for him to do his job. He couldn't possibly do it. So some guy is coming out of a bank, right? With a gun in one hand and a satchel in the other while the alarm is ringing. The cop sees this guy as a bank robber. Okay, his job is to stop him. He says, stop. He fires a shot in the air. Okay, he's antipathetic toward that guy. He's not saying, oh, gee, I can really see that you have economic woes and I feel sorry. You know, he is unwilling to permeate this guy. And it's a good thing because his job is to stop him. Now, below that is able to permeate. Now, a person that's able to permeate is indifferent. In other words, he doesn't really care. You know, he, he doesn't really, if you say, well, uh, you know, I can't decide if I want to play tennis or golf. And he doesn't have an opinion. He says, well, I don't care what, what you play. You know, he's indifferent. So he's able to permeate it, but he's not really permeating it. He's just able to permeate it. So that ability to permeate is itself a kind of an outflow. Below that is unable to permeate. This is clearly an info. This person is succumbing, okay? This person cannot survive because he's unable to permeate. You know, this is the guy, he says, oh, I can't eat. 
I can't get a date. I can't do my job. You know, he's at level six. That's way down there. He's succumbing. Okay. And at the bottom is must permeate. This is, this is a maniac. Okay. This is like the Nazis trying to exterminate the Jews. Okay. It's compulsive. Hitler was compulsively antipathetic toward the Jews. That was clearly an outflow. Watch his speeches. He's not withholding himself. He is letting it rip. Okay. These are very dangerous people. Okay. This is the type of per person who would blow up an abortion clinic. Okay. He has an opinion about it and he's going to compel everybody to agree with his opinion by blowing up the place. So this person must permeate. He cannot not permeate. So you see that the must permeate is a lower harmonic of complete permeation. See, the person that complete permeation, he doesn't have to permeate. Uh, there's no compulsion to that person. No compulsion is involved. But the person at the bottom of the scale is solidly compulsive. And that's the scale of... Uh, go ahead, we're on the next page. Okay, yes. scale, scale of thought. thought. Scale of thought, really, really important. There are seven levels of thought. You can observe somebody by what they say and do at these levels. Uh, now, a person at level seven, his, he's at a level of thought, which we call denial. He's ignoring something. You know, this guy, uh, every night he drinks a quart of scotch. He falls down drunk on the floor. Okay. And if you say to him, well, you think you're an alcoholic? He'll say, oh, no, I'm not an alcoholic. See, he's ignoring it. And it's because he has very little permeation or knowledge of that area. That is his level of thought. That's how he thinks about it. Says, no, nope, nothing wrong. Above from that is disassociate. Disassociate is rejecting. Okay. This is the person who says, oh, I don't like Christians. Don't want any Christians around. I reject them. I'm disassociating from them. Okay. That's actually a little bit better than denial because at least he has some cognizance of what's going on, even though it's a sort of biased. Then up from that is identify. This is a person who is equating. He's saying this is equal to this. <laughs> like this is the person who says, you can't trust women, okay? He is identifying. He's identifying all women with all other women. He's equating this woman is the same as that woman and you can't trust any of them, okay? That is identification. Now above that, you have associate. This is what we call normal people. This person says, uh, uh, you have any children? He says, oh, so yeah, I have two. And he says, oh, I have three. So they're comparing. They're associating. This is what we think of as normal conversation. Now, notice this is the dividing line between sane and insane. People who are below associate are clearly insane, but there's three different types of insanity here. And the people who are above four, four are definitely sane in the corresponding area. Now, three is differentiate. This is a person who's analytical. You know, he will think about things. He will say, well, you know, the Republicans are saying this, 
And he'll think about it. And then he'll say, well, the Democrats are saying this. And he'll think about that. He's analyzing things. He's differentiating. Uh, and above that is duplicate. Duplicate is learning. Learning is a process of duplication. The teacher shows you how to factor polynomials and you learn to do it the way he shows you. You're learning by duplication. Most people don't realize that learning is about duplication. Everybody learns by duplicating. Little Johnny, when he's one year old, he sees you smile and he says, hello, Johnny. Uh, and he gets that, okay, this is a good thing. See, he's duplicating that the smile goes with, hello, Johnny, you see? He's learning this. Uh, and of course, this extends to animals too. Anim animals can duplicate something, okay? If you show the dog enough times something, he'll get it, he'll duplicate it. He'll, he'll get, okay, no sitting on the couch. Okay, I got that. He learned that, he duplicated it because you presented it to him multiple times. And at the top is create. That's the highest level of thought like great jazz musicians, okay? They don't need music. They don't even need to rehearse. They can just come out and play. Now, sometimes they do rehearse and sometimes they do use music, but uh, if you watch them play, you'll see they're, they're just doing their own thing. Like somebody like Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker, he would just get up and play. And each time would be unique because it was just what inspired him at that moment. And that is what jazz musicians are really about, being at this level. So these are seven levels of thought, and you can identify. Now, again, notice the axis here. The axis is runs from total permeation of knowledge to no permeation or knowledge. So a person who has no permeation or knowledge, he's going to be in denial. He, he, you know, you have a guy who he's using drugs. And he insists he's not a drug addict, okay? Two years later, he dies from a drug overdose, okay? That was because he had very, very little permeation or knowledge of that area. He was not permeating. He was not thinking clearly, okay? As opposed to the highest level, create. Those people have total permeation and knowledge. Right? Somebody like Chick Corea, who died recently, brilliant musician, okay? If you ever watched him play, you could see he had total permeation of the, the keyboard, of the other musicians, okay? He played from inspiration, okay? His knowledge was so vast that he was able to permeate music in a very creative way. And that is the highest level of thought. So you can look at a person and see very easily what level of thought this person is at, and it tells you a lot about him. Um, yeah, I agree to that because you're talking about musicians. There's one musician I like, and sadly he died last year, but Pangelis. Now, he was a self-taught musician, so he created by himself, and he was inspired by that. And, you know, and he didn't learn by anyone, but he analyzed things and he made it his own. So he was one and three in that scenario. And I like that. Right. Right. But you have to realize that, that no musician starts 
or any artist starts at level one. Mm. He has to work his way up. You know, he's, he starts at associate. You know, the TV comes on and a 10-year-old kid sees a guy playing the guitar and he likes it. So, oh, okay, I see you have this instrument, you play it, it makes these sounds. See, he's an associate. Mm. And then he goes up to differentiate. He can hear the difference between Eddie Van Halen and Eric Clapton. There is a difference there, okay? He's analyzing it. And then when he goes up to duplicate, he will sit down with an Eddie Van Halen record and copy it, okay? Every pro musician goes through a period like that where they're copying the solos of the great players. And eventually they come up to create where they don't need anything, okay? They play by inspiration. You can put a piece of music in front of them and they can read it, but it's not necessary to them, okay? And I've, I've seen people like this uh, great musician just sit down and play, not even a song, just play. Uh, by, just by pure inspiration. Just play what comes out and it's fantastic. But that is the highest level. So nobody starts there, but you can get there. And this is true for every area. Uh, for example, when Einstein came up with the theory of relativity, he was level one. He was inspired to have this insight that apparently nobody ever had before. And it changed the world. It changed the way phys phys uh, physics students think about reality and the world, the universe. So even though he was not an artist, he was creating it with physics. You see, he was at an inspired level. Yeah. Okay. Next slide. Okay, the scale of identity. This is really important uh, because as a person fails or succeeds, it has to do with identity. Now, this is an odd scale in that everyone starts at level one. No need for an identity. In other words, let's say you take a 10-year-old kid. He doesn't know anything about politics, okay? He has no need for an identity as, as a Tory or as... Uh, a labor voter or as a Green Party voter. All right, he's just extroverted. He's just looking around. He has no need for an identity. But at some point, he'll probably go down to level two and become certain of an identity. He'll say, oh yeah, I'm a Republican. Now, this, this is a level of contrition. This is a person that will send money to the Republicans. He has a kind of contrition, gee, I have to uh, contribute to these people. Uh, when you're certain of identity, there's a certain contrition that goes with it. And then if, if, he, if something happens, he'll go downscale, he'll become uncertain of his identity. He'll become indecisive. Gee, maybe I shouldn't be a Republican. Maybe I should be a Democrat. See, now he's indecisive. Now, now look at this direction. Again, this has got inflow, outflow in it. So no need for an identity is an inflow, meaning he, this person is not reaching for anything. But when you go down to certain of identity, that's reaching toward that thing. You're saying, yes, I'm going to be a Democrat. You see, it's an outflow. Then when he goes down to uncertain of identity, 
he'll say, well, gee, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be in America. He's withdrawing, you see? It's an inflow. Then a person will, from there will go down to wrong identity. He'll, he'll become an enemy. He'll say, oh, I hate Democrats. He went from being indecisive about them to hating them. He is an enemy of them. So he is outflowing. He will spend money to prevent them from winning elections. Then below that is lost identity. Lost identity is betrayal. This is what you get when you have a person who, let's say, uh, is an American, and he winds up with giving secret papers to the Soviets, okay? He has betrayed his country, okay? Uh, this is an inflow. This is a very sort of co a collapsed state, okay? A uh, person who has a lost identity is in very bad shape. Below that is disorientation. This person doesn't know what the hell is going on. And you will see when a person goes down the scale, he eventually will get to a state of chaos. He can't think with it anymore. He doesn't know what to do. He can't process information. And that disorientation is really an outflow. It's a chaotic outflow, but it's an outflow. He's saying, get it away from me. I'm disoriented. This doesn't make any sense to me. And below that is no identity, no possible identity. Now, again, look at one and seven. They're both no identity. But at level one, it's not no identity because no identity is possible. It's no need for an identity. At level seven, he has, it's no possibility of an identity. This person is oblivious. Okay? So this is an axis on the right of maximal perception at the top and a minimal perception at the bottom. A person who is oblivious has no perception. He doesn't know what's going on because he can't perceive anything. And a person who's extroverted has maximal perception. His, his perception is maximal because he's extroverted. He's looking out. He's not looking in. And as you go down the scale, your perception deteriorates. This is really important in fixing relationships. So like you'll have a guy, he's just a single guy, right? And he meets a girl and he becomes certain of an identity of, oh, I am Jane's boyfriend. See, and then he has a kind of contrition if you watch people who say, oh, Jane, what do you want me to do? Oh, you want to go for ice cream? Okay, let's go. You see, and then after a while he'll say, well, gee, I don't know about this. He goes down to three. And then after a while he'll say, I don't want to be with her anymore. He's gone down to enemy. And then below that, he will lose his identity together. He will betray her, meaning he'll go out with somebody else completely, even though he promised not to do that. That's betrayal. And then uh, if he continues to go down, he can get to a point of disorientation. You know, he can get to a point where you can say, well, uh, tell, me the, tell me, you know, tell me about the girls you went out with. And he'll say, well, you know, I can't really remember anything about them. There are people around like that. They, they can't remember the names of the girls they went out with. Uh, so that's chaos, you see? And then the person will, if he keeps going down, this is like the people you find who are in insane asylums or who are drug addicts, homeless alcoholics on the street. They're oblivious. You know, their perception is close to zero. 
if not at zero. I mean, you try to have a you try to have a discussion with a person in an insane asylum about the upcoming election. He doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. He doesn't even know there is an election. And even if you say yes, there's an election on Tuesday, and this is who's running. He's, he has no perception because he's crazy. See, that's why he's in the hospital ward on drugs. Next, scale of evaluation. Now, this is an extremely volatile scale. Everyone enters this scale at level four. You always enter this scale at neutrality. So let's say you have somebody who has never seen an Impressionist painting. So you've never seen an Impressionist painting? Let me show you. So you take them to the museum and you say, okay, here's Monet, okay, here's Monet, and so forth. You show him these various painters, and he's, he is having his first introduction to Impressionism. And in a short period of time, he will go for impartial to either acceptance, which is above, or discouragement, which is below. So if he likes it, he'll say, oh, yeah, I accept this. This is nice. See? So he's kind of condoning it. Or he may not like it. He might say, I'd rather just see a photograph of the thing. What do I want to look at this for? See, he's disagreeing with it. Now, if he can, continues to go downscale, he will not only discourage, he will invalidate. You see, discourage, if you say to somebody, uh, you know, what do you think of Impressionism? He'll discourage you. He'll say, that's yeah, eh, not worth really seeing. It's, I don't get it. Okay, he's kind of disagreeing with it and discouraging you. But he might go down to a point of invalidation. He'll say, this is garbage. Don't pay any attention. He's refuting it. This is like a person, you know, who has a political uh, position uh, saying, don't bother to listen to this guy, okay? I don't agree with anything he says. I refute everything he says. And I think this, he's an idiot, okay? He's invalidating that person. And eventually, if he continues down the scale, he will get to condemnation, which is loathing, which is where you find people who say, anybody who's not pro-choice should be put in jail. Okay, that's condemnation. Or going up to the scale, we're at neutrality and you go up to acceptance. And then after acceptance, you get to unanimity, which is agreement. Yes. Uh, like, for example, I'm sort of, uh, you know, learning about Impressionism. I became sort of in agreement with Monet when I was going to see his paintings in museums. And eventually I got up to one, avidity. Yes, this is great, show me more. So if you ask the guy, well, what do you think of Monet? He'll be encouraging, he'll say, this guy is the greatest. Go see his paintings, you see, you, he's avid about it. And of course the axis on the right is love and hate. So at the top of the scale, you love something and at the bottom of the scale, you hate it. So this, you know, this runs the whole spectrum from somebody who hates something to somebody who loves something. And this could fit virtually anything. Uh, while we're up here at the top, I wanna to just point out, notice it says type 
linear, gradual, specific. I'm not going to go too much into that. If you go to my website, the introduction to subtemics tells you what this means. Some of the scales are linear. Some of the scales are not. Some of the scales are gradual. Some of the scales are not. Some of the scales are specific. So there are subcategories of scales. And this tells you across three uh, dimensions exactly what type of a scale this is. And, you know, linear scales have a specific uh, structure. Okay, scale of motivation. So obviously this is extremely important. What is more important than knowing someone's motivation? So say so you have a guy, right? He's dating a girl. He's thinking about marrying her. He needs to know her motivation. Does she want to marry him because she loves him, which is level one, okay? Or does she want, she marrying him because she wants his money, right? The guy's a millionaire. He lives in a, in, in a palace, okay? That's what we call a gold digger. That's a very different motivation. So figuring that out could be the difference between marrying the person and breaking off the relationship. So it's really important to know the motivation of the people around you, okay? So what is my wife's motivation toward me? What is my son's motivation toward me? What is my boss's motivation toward me? And also you need to look at your own motivations, okay? What is my motivation here? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this out of revenge? Or am I doing this just because I want money, which is not as bad, you see? Now notice uh, charity, the highest level, is really love, okay? Caritas in Latin, from where we get the word charity, means love, not love in a romantic way, but love in a, what we would say, a platonic way, okay? A person at that level requires no payment because he's doing it out of love. Like people who join a religious order devote their whole lives to helping and require no payment, like the Society of Jesus, okay? Those men do not even own their own clothes. They have no worldly possessions, okay? They spend their whole lives helping people usually teaching, sometimes being uh, uh, missionaries. So they're motivated by love, okay? So obviously those people are taking an extremely high level of responsibility for those around them. Now down from that is duty, which is obligation. Like the person says, well, I have an obligation to take care of my son because he's my son, right? He's doing it out of duty. So he's going to help the son, help another. So he's sort of repaying a debt at this level. Like, well, he kind of has a debt to whoever it is, you know, like person in the military, okay? He has an obligation to obey the commanding officer, okay? So he has the feeling that there, he has a debt there and he has to repay that debt. Below that is status, which is what we think of as fame. Right? A person does something from status, like uh, people who give to charity because it's a status thing. Oh, yes, Joe gave a million dollars to this religious order, okay? 
that is a status symbol amongst rich people. Uh, so this person, uh, see, when you have fame, you're sort of receiving help. People are helping you because you're famous. So that day, you know, uh, take somebody like uh, Mariah Carey, right? Great singer. She goes to a theater, all the tickets sell, right? It's like half a million dollars. Most of that goes to her. She's receiving help because she's famous. She has status as a great singer, okay? So she's accepting payment from another, from all those people who come to see her. Below that, you have the motivation of wealth. So this is, I think, self-explanatory. People who want money. Most people are motivated by money. So obviously, they're helping themselves. Yeah, I want money so I can help myself. So it's like you take that money and you pay it to yourself. Okay? Oh, yeah, I, I want. I want to buy a sports car. Okay? So he takes this money. It's like the sports car is like a payment to himself. So below that is revenge. And this is what most people really think of when they talk about justice. I want justice. Well, what they really want is revenge most of the time. They want to harm another. So you have some guy who's a murderer. They arrest him. Okay. They want this guy executed. They want justice. They want to harm this person. So they're exacting payment from this person. Okay. Well, you murdered my husband and you're going to pay for it by being executed. Okay. And below that is suicide. So this is kind of a state of oblivion. Uh, by the time a person is suicidal, he's kind of oblivious. You know, he, he can't really think, he can't really function, and he wants to harm himself. So he's exacting payment from himself. He's making himself pay for who knows whatever it is that's going on in his subconscious. And below that, the lowest level is destructive. So this is a person who's subversive. He wants to destroy, okay? These are like people who want to overthrow the government. They want to harm everybody in the country, okay? They're exacting payment from everyone, like the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, okay? They killed most of the royal family. That's a lot of arming people, okay? They were exacting payment from anybody who didn't agree with them. Okay, that is motivated by destruction. So again, that's hard for many people to understand because most people are not like that. But it does happen. Uh, and then the axis on the right is responsibility and the top full responsibility on the bottom, no responsibility. So when you're going around blowing up buildings you're not taking any responsibility for the building or for the people inside it or for the families of the people inside it or for anything, right? That's no responsibility or at best, very little responsibility, which is why the no responsibility is below the scale, okay? And again, at the top of the scale, the full responsibility is above the scale. And it's hard to take full responsibility you might take 99% responsibility. It's hard for a human to get to either full responsibility or no responsibility because absolutes are unattainable. Okay, that would be perfection. 
and that's not really possible for humans. Uh, but that's a skill of motivation. I advise you to use this to analyze people around you. Realize there are only seven basic motivations. All the other motivations are subsets of these. Like when I say wealth and money, well, you know, the guy, let's say a guy steals a car, okay? Say, well, there's no money there. Oh, really? <laughs> that car is worth money, okay? He's helping himself to somebody else's car. So it has a monetary value. So it's wealth to this person. Whether he keeps it or sells it and gets the money, it's still wealth. So you have to, when you look at these, you have to think about it in a broad context to understand it well. Any questions? Scale of control, okay. Now, this is one of the most misunderstood areas of human activity. First, you have to realize control is an inherently positive thing. There is no such thing as bad control. So you can say, well, what about how Hitler was controlling the Jews? No, Hitler was unable to control the Jews. That is why he tried to exterminate them. Okay, so let's say you have a guy who's pushing his wife around, right? He's, if he had control of her, he wouldn't be doing that. He's pushing her around because he can't control her. So you have to realize that every good thing that you ever did was an assertion of control. Okay, so Yasha Heifetz, Kutcher could control the violin. Babe Ruth could control the baseball, okay? Uh, Obama could control his voice. He was a very good speaker. He knew how to give an effective speech. So he had control of his voice. And from his point of view, that was a very positive thing, okay? So you have to realize, get, get that, realize when I talk about control, I'm not talking about domination or anything like that. I'm talking about doing it right. So like a math teacher, he gives you a calculus problem. He says, okay, solve this problem on a test, okay? So you go through, you solve it. You solve it because you can control calculus. You know what you're doing with calculus. So you can solve it. You see, you have control of it. So that's the first thing you have to get. And then you have to realize that this occurs in a very strange way. The lowest level is must not control. This is a person who's saying, uh, don't touch me, don't go near me, okay? He's inhibiting everything, okay? He must not control it, okay? Uh, then above that is a person, not quite as bad, must control. This is a person who's compulsive. Yes, we must control people. We cannot let them decide who's gonna vote for them. We compel them, okay? That's must control. That's actually not as crazy as must not control. And then up from that is cannot control. So this person is not compulsive. He's just disowning things, okay? Cannot control. Uh, I cannot control this thing, he disowns it. Like a person who says, oh, I cannot control my children. He's disowning them, okay? A responsible parent would be at least the four of slight control. Okay, I can control my children slightly. <clears throat> so before you see slight control, that's tolerance. Say when you can tolerate somebody, like you see a person who has three noisy kids in the house 
<coughs> person can tolerate that. And the reason they can tolerate it is they have some slight control over it, okay? There about to be a point where you say to the kids, okay, kids, that's enough running around, come and have lunch. You know, that's slight control. Then about that is good control. That's what we call competence. When a person is in good control of something, okay? So you have, let's say, somebody who shoots pool, right? He shoots, the ball goes in the pocket, okay? He's competent. He has good control over those balls and over the cue. And then of that is very good control. This is what we call mastery, okay? This is like when you see a great painter or a great dancer uh, or a great singer. So like when you're watching Pavarotti sing, he has very good control over his voice, okay? So you would say that's mastery. And then up above that is full control, which is creation. When you have full control of something, you are creating it. Uh, most people don't get to this level. But if you think of this in terms of, from a religious point of view, people say, well, God created us. Uh, he was in full control. That's what you get when you read the Bible. So the highest level is complete responsibility, which is full control. And the lowest level is no responsibility. You see, the person who's at inhibition must not control. Oh, no, don't touch it. We can't go near it. Don't do anything to it. This person has no responsibility later. Okay. And that is a, a level of hatred as opposed to somebody at full control is a level of love. So a person who is in full control is uh, experiencing love. And a person who must not control is experiencing hate. And that is the axis there that runs up and down. So this is really important if you're gonna evaluate somebody. Watch how people control things, okay? Let's say you watch a person control children, right? And you see that this person has good control over children, okay? They're not dominating them. They're not yelling at them. They can get them to, okay, it's time now to wash your hands, you know? They're competent. That's somebody who you would wanna hire to work at, uh, Preschool, okay? If you have somebody who says, oh, I can't control children, he's kind of disowning them. You can't have him working at preschool. That will be a train wreck, you see? So this is very useful. And you can talk to people and they'll, and they'll tell you if you listen to them where they are. You know, like a person who says, I love music, okay? So this is somebody who will make a good music teacher. He loves it. He it has a lot of responsibility in this area, okay? So he will have a collection of CDs or whatever, okay? So there's a kind of mastery. He can tell you all about Beethoven and Mozart and the differences between them. He has kind of a mastery over this. So he could teach musicology. If somebody doesn't know that, he can't teach musicology, okay? He doesn't have the mastery of the history of music to be in good enough control of that body of data to teach it. Questions? Next scale, scale of stopping. Now this is something that will make a lot of people scratch their heads. What do we mean stopping? Because this is actually very important because stopping means two things. It means discontinuing, right? Like if a person is uh, 
eating meat and he stops eating meat, he discontinued it. But it also means prevent. It means both things. So at the bottom of the scale is must not stop. This person is compulsive, like an alcoholic, right? He can't stop drinking. You cannot allow him to be in a room with a bottle of liquor because he will drink the whole thing. He's compulsive about it, okay? Now, up from that is must stop. This is a person who's suppressive, okay? This is a person who says to his 15-year-old daughter, you must stop going on dates, right? He's suppressive to her. Now, that's not as crazy as must not stop. He's not compulsive, but he is suppressive. Up from that is stopped. This is a person who's apathetic. An apathetic person is stopped. You say to the person, well, who are you going to vote for? He says, I'm not going to vote. See, he's apathetic. He's stopped. Above that is a person who cannot stop. This is abnormal. You know, this is like a person that you can say, well, cannot stop. Isn't that the same as must not stop? No. Must not stop is must not stop. Cannot stop is simply cannot stop. This is like the person, you know, you know, there used to be a commercial Lay's potato chips. I bet you can't eat one. And the idea was once you eat one, you want to eat another one, right? So that's like the person who he cannot stop himself. You know, he can't just eat two scoops of ice cream. He has to eat the whole container. Okay. That's abnormal okay, to be like that, whatever it is. Above that, we have can stop. This is a normal person. He can stop. This is a person he can, you know, he, he, New Year's, he has a drink of champagne and he can stop. He doesn't have to drink the whole bottle. Okay, that's a normal person. Then up from that is can be stopped. Now, when we talk about a successful person, uh, a person who's good at business or good at his family, he can be stopped. Okay, you can blow up his building and stop him from being successful. That's what we think of as a successful person. He can be stopped. Above that is a person who cannot be stopped. This person is invincible. Almost everybody around Abraham Lincoln tried to stop him from defeating the Confederacy. His own generals wouldn't fight for him, okay? But he had an invincibility. He was not going to be stopped. He knew that the, the Confederacy had to be defeated, that slavery had to be ended, and he did it almost by himself. He was fortunate enough to find an obscure general named Grant who helped him and Grant's friend Sherman. Those two generals actually won the war for Lincoln, the Civil War. So when we talk about Hercules or Superman, that is somebody who is invincible. He cannot be stopped. Right, you can fire bullets at Superman, they bounce off, he's invincible. Not many people are at this level. Uh, now notice the dividing line between three and four is the dividing line between sane and insane. A person who's at level one, two, or three is sane in the relevant area. A person who is below that is not sane, okay? He's abnormal, apathetic, suppressive, or compulsive, none of which are sane. It's progressively less sane. And if you look at the axis, 
the axis there on the right is freedom at the top and entrapment at the bottom. Now notice that freedom is a little bit above the scale. There's no total freedom because that would be an absolute, but you could be very, very, very free. And at the bottom entrapment is below level seven. Nobody is completely entrapped. Even psychotics uh, manage to stay alive because they have some, they're at least able to eat or sleep. So, but uh, a person at level seven is so crazy. He, he, he is entrapped. He's compulsive. He has no real free will on that area. Okay, whereas a person who cannot be stopped is a person who has tremendous freedom. He has freedom because he's invincible. <laughs> and of course, you have to realize that most of us are closer to the middle. Uh, most people are normal about some things and abnormal about a few things. So we have a normal guy, you know, who bites his nails, okay? He can't stop biting his nails. People tell him, no, you shouldn't bite your nails. He keeps doing it. It's abnormal, okay? So it's it's a type of neurosis that he has where he can't stop doing it, okay? It's a bad habit. So that's a little insane. It's nowhere near as sane as a person who's below on the scale. But this is very important in evaluating a person. You know, can this person stop things? Can this person be stopped? You know, if a person cannot stop something, you don't want him around. That's going to be a problem. Like a guy who, you know, he's married, but he keeps going out with girls. He's supposed to stop that. Okay, that's abnormal. Next. Scale of scholarship. Okay. The most important thing about this is, if you read the chapter, I tell you, with specificity, how to make a scholar. Now, when I say a scholar, there are seven levels of scholarship. So basically what I explain in the chapter is how to move someone up the scale. Now, if you look at seven, it says non-student. What's a non-student? There are millions of people. They're just not gonna be students. They're not gonna learn. They don't wanna learn. They don't wanna go to school, okay? They're non-students. You, you know, like you can say to this person, you know, uh, I, I see you're having trouble with tennis. Why don't you take a course? Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. He will not learn. And there are, these are the type of person who, unless they're permitted, unless they're prevented from doing so, will drop out of high school. They're only there because they're forced to be there by a truant officer or by a domineering parent. They're not going to learn. Doesn't matter what you tell them, they're not gonna learn. They are uh, antipathetic to learning. Above that is what I call a facile student. A facile student is what you might call pretended learning. You know, he goes through the motions. He, this person might get good grades, but he doesn't really learn anything. If you listen to these people, they actually boast. They'll say, oh yeah, I don't remember anything at all from algebra. Don't remember anything. Because they managed to get through the course but they didn't really learn anything. They were sort of just pretending to learn. These people are trying to please someone else or look good. They're not really there to learn. Now, above that is a poor student. Now, everybody understands this. This is a guy 
He doesn't like to learn. The guy's a poor student. You know, he says he doesn't want to do his homework. He doesn't want to go to school. This person is better off than a facile student because you can see that he's a poor student. So you know that there's a problem there to fix. Above that is the average student. This person is willing to learn, okay? That's an average student. You know, usually if you go to a college classroom, most of the kids in there, almost all of them, are willing to learn. That's why they're in the classroom. Above that is a good student. A good student learns well, okay? He will do his lessons. He will pay attention. He will look up words in the dictionary if he needs to, okay? He can learn. He learns well. Above that is a very good student. This person not only learns well, but likes to learn. He wants to learn. So above that is an avid student, which is a person who loves to learn. So David, we're running out of time. We have to stop. We could continue this on another date. Yes, and thank you for sharing so far. I hope it's helping okay. many people. But thank you for- Great, I hope this does help people. Yeah, and thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, David. Have a great day. Bye-bye. That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon. <laughs>